Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer, and it's 2021, so it's a wonderful time to talk about our 21 trends for 2021. 2020 was an amazing year uh, for us here at Trending in Education. We did 102 shows. We talked to 75 different guests trying to get you a broad cross-section of what's happening in the world of learning. And I think we did a pretty good job. Hopefully uh, you're enjoying what you're hearing. If you have any feedback, please reach out to us uh, on Twitter at Trending in Ed or on LinkedIn at our Trending in Ed page. Also feel free to reach out to me directly through LinkedIn. Love to hear from our listeners. But we were able to assimilate a lot of information, talk to a lot of different voices, get their perspectives. And that's now culminated in a list of 21 trends of the hot topics to keep track of in the world of learning in 2021. Here's our list. So at number 21, the trend is called tabloid education. And this is a topic that we've covered really since the Operation Varsity Blues scandal broke in 2019. And then we've revisited it throughout 2020 as the stories have developed. Many of you may have seen that recently Lori Loughlin was just released from her prison stint, catching up with uh, Felicity Huffman, who also served a little bit of time in a minimum security prison in 2020. A crazy year to be doing time due to the pandemic. But also, what are you missing? The bigger idea is that we're always drawn to these salacious lifetime channel type narratives that draw us back and help it bubble up and make it shareable through social media. And I would expect that to continue. I recently saw that Kim Kardashian is pursuing her law degree, which is another flavor of tabloid education. And I'd even say Betsy DeVos, our soon-to-be former Secretary of Education, had a certain tabloid quality to her. She seemed like a scandal or a provocative press conference away from being somewhat tabloid. And uh, sadly, this is a reflection of the tabloid culture, the sensational world that we live in. And nonetheless, it will grab eyeballs. It will produce the learning clickbait that we may want to pursue a little bit ourselves uh, just to stay current, to stay zeitgeisty, as I like to say. So at number 21, we have tabloid education. At number 20, we've got online learning. And not a particularly earth-shattering observation, but online learning had a bit of a moment in 2020. And the idea is that's not going to go away. If anything, it's likely going to continue to expand right on through, hopefully, the successful response to the pandemic. Online learning is something I've been passionate about since I first began developing online courses back in the year 2000, 20 years ago. And I've seen the many different manifestations of online learning over the years, and I'm curious to see where this continues to go. And it's something we'll continue to track. Also, I think online learning may be a little bit limited in its perspective, digital learning uh, as well, where I think we're going to see new and intriguing blends, small batch varietal blends, I like to say, of learning content. It's a golden age of instructional design, which uh, we'll come to in a sec. Number 19 is false scarcity. False scarcity is something most commonly equated with higher education, which is the idea that by touting your selectivity and making it very difficult for people to get into your university, you will increase 
its status and benefit from the increased attention that these scarce commodities get, when in reality, particularly through the promise of online learning and the new awakenings around access gaps that are emerging just about everywhere, there are increased opportunities to open up access. Another way of opening up access is through community colleges, which is uh, another topic that uh, we've seen emerge, particularly throughout 2020, where many times the, the solutions that people need are readily available, but there is a perception that these things are hard to get and that they're only available to an elite few. And that's perpetuated by scandals like Operation Varsity Blues, where it seems like these things are only accessible to the wealthy, only accessible to the elite who can then hand it down through legacy or through uh, corrupt backdoors, or even through having the means to provide the edge that students need to get into these most selective universities, when in reality, many of us really don't need that elite school. It's not about going to the best school. It's about going to the, the best educational solution for you. And many of us will have different paths in life. And that's not just okay. That is, in fact, good. Number 18, instructional design. As I mentioned before, online learning is having a moment. And so it too is instructional design. We saw in the spring of 2020, uh, what was referred to by Educause as emergency remote teaching, the rapid stampede into Zoom that unfortunately left many scars, now is emerging into a new realization that it's not simply about lifting and shifting what you did in person to online. Instead, there is a need to be thoughtful and to leverage best-in-class learning science, new media capabilities to design something that is truly learner-centric and teacher-centric. I think we're just at the beginning of this massive shift and uh, again, thinking back to back in the early 2000s when uh, I was an instructional designer, it wasn't a particularly glamorous role. It, it still isn't really, but hopefully folks who are doing that work will get their recognition, get the resourcing that they need. And uh, it's a trend that will continue to track. If you are an instructional designer and you'd like to share your perspective, we'd love to have you on the show. Reach out to us on Twitter at Trending and Ed. Number 17 is a trend that I saw Hole in IQ coin calling it robo-renaissance, which is the idea that robotics have been around for some time, but we're entering into a renaissance now. If anything, that renaissance has been accelerated by the pandemic where humans who are vulnerable to the disease frequently will need to be replaced by contactless and in some ways automated and or robotic solutions. I did see uh, a, a video that was going viral through social media of the Boston Dynamics robots dancing in some pretty dexterous and somewhat kinesthetically intelligent ways. And I think that's a trend that we're going to continue to see. Many of us will be frightened, particularly those of us who are Black Mirror devotees like myself. But nonetheless, the future is coming. It's time to understand the human's role in it. And in many ways, humans will be dancing with robots for the foreseeable future. Our next trend is a simple one. It's called grace. Many guests who appeared on the show through 2020 
talked about the importance of grace. Perhaps most eloquently, Dr. Rich Milner out of Vanderbilt University was talking about the importance of grace when understanding how to deal with race and how to deal with community education. Having teachers ideally live within their school districts so that they can understand and empathize with their audience. Terry Givens, another fantastic guest, been on the show several times, has a book coming out called Radical Empathy. Grace and empathy, I think, go together. But the idea that you don't really know what's happening on the other side of that Zoom window. And rather than assume ill intent or assume someone is doing something they shouldn't be doing, give them some grace, just as you would expect that yourself. And it's something that hopefully we can teach each other and remind each other of throughout the year. And it's a trend that I think will hopefully maintain for the foreseeable future. Trend number 15 for 2021 is canny centaurs. And this is a play on the concept from robotics, which is the uncanny valley, which is that when robots begin to get human, there's a point at which they become creepy to us. It's referred to as the uncanny valley when they don't look like a human. So when your robot looks like Rosie the Robot from the Jetsons, you're fine with it. Your Roomba, it's entertaining. You put your cat on top of it. But as that robot starts to resemble humanity, but not quite get there, is when there's this feeling of uncanniness, this feeling of being unnerved that is creepy. And it's one of the reasons why we haven't seen Robot Butlers, which is an old theme for those of you who have been following the show for a while. We had thought in the early days that maybe we could purchase a robot butler for, for those of us at Trending in Education to stay on top of that trend. But uh, thus far, we haven't really seen that happen. And uh, in part, I think it's because of this uncanniness. Now, the flip side of this uncanniness is this idea that when humans blend with artificial intelligence, with robots, with machine learning that they can form a hybrid intelligence, which is frequently referred to as a centaur. The concept of the centaur comes from chess, where humans versus AI versions of chess masters, the AI typically wins. But when a human has access to AI and then plays a pure AI play or a pure human play, the centaur typically wins. What canny centaurs means is we're going to begin to find more examples of blends where the AI and the robotics and the machine learning can do what it does best, but then there'll be a layer of humanity. It'll be people-mediated, human-mediated, and that humanity will remove the uncanniness and those humans who need to learn how to work effectively with robots and intelligent agents they will need to be canny, and in aggregate, that entire experience will be what's referred to as a centaur. So be on the lookout for some canny centaurs in 2021. Trend number 14 really could be trend number one. Truth be told, this list is not particularly thoughtful when it comes to rank ordering these trends. The order, at least for this list, is somewhat arbitrary. However, the topic that is next is one that we've referred to several times on the show. It's called digital inclusion. And digital inclusion, we've had Angela Seifer on, who heads up the National Digital Inclusion Alliance several times. Her show was the most downloaded show of 2020. And that's when we recorded 
with Angela right in the thick of the first wave of COVID-19 when there was this initial awakening that, my God, this stuff that was a problem in terms of trying to get digital equity, making sure everyone had equal access and ability to use digital tools, was now becoming a public health problem. That has by no means gone away. If anything, we're more keenly aware of these gaps and more keenly aware of the important work that needs to be done to begin to bridge those gaps. So digital inclusion also was our runner-up in our March Madness finals from the spring of 2020. So it's quite zeitgeisty. As I mentioned before, I say zeitgeisty a lot, and digital inclusion is a term that we all need to understand better, and it's something that we need to begin to build into our thinking when planning for the future heading into the 2020s. Trend number 13 is design thinking. And design thinking more broadly has been a mega trend really in the 21st century. But the aspect of design thinking that I see pivoting into new modes in 2021 and through the rest of the 2020s is in how it can be applied to learning design, to instructional design, to K-12 classrooms, to pre-K, to higher ed, to lifelong learning. In all these cases, it's frequently been that lone, intrepid instructional designer who's overmatched in terms of the amount of work that she's got to get out the door. She's trying to be thoughtful. She's trying to apply some design thinking, but it's frequently a a lonely and under-resourced task. The flip side is if you look at the product revolution that's happened again in the 21st century, in the last 20 years, the amount of resourcing and complex teams and capabilities that are deployed against rolling out new software products, as an example, is tremendous. And if only that trend could extend into the learning space, which I think COVID has accelerated. So one thing we have talked about extensively on this show, and I've heard many others talk about it. I was just reading Scott Galloway's book, Post-Corona, where he was talking about how COVID is an accelerant. So many of the trends that we're talking about were already out there in the world. But now, in light of the pandemic and the pandemic response, we've seen major shifts. So I'm hoping that we'll see an an increase in awareness of design thinking when we're thinking about designing learning products. And that will only benefit the end users, which are learners, instructors, families, employers, all of us. Trend number 12 is something I'm referring to as telemental health. And I got that term from Graham Taylor at Triad Behavioral Health when I was helping them get their podcast off the ground, which is called Behavioral Health Today. Graham and I did a show for Triad Behavioral Health where we were talking about, again, in the early stages of the pandemic response, how many states had changed the regulations around delivering mental health services digitally and We talked to Russell Glass, who's the CEO of Ginger, talked to Kate Eberly-Walker, who's the CEO of Presence Learning, talked to Brandon Jones, who's the CEO of Triad Behavioral Health, also my former co-host on Trending in Education. All of them were talking about this massive need for behavioral health services and the inability to deliver those face-to-face, compounded by the fact that we didn't want to deliver those things face-to-face in light of this 
highly contagious pandemic being out there. So that's all leading to the development of apps like Ginger, which is an app that can give you mental health services in your pocket. So telemental health, teletherapy, telepractice, telepractice? Yeah, all these things are new and emerging capabilities. I see the three-legged stool as working from home, online learning, and telehealth, teletherapy. Those three things, I don't see rolling back anywhere near to what they were prior to the pandemic. And in particular, teletherapy, the conversation I had with uh, Kate, Presence Learning does uh, really interesting work delivering live online services around speech pathology and students with special needs in K-12. In many cases, those services do not need to be limited by a physical space. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of reimagining of these services in the future. And that's going to run right up against the other trend, which is this desperate behavioral health challenge that we're all facing as we're struggling with the pandemic. We were already struggling with social isolation. Social media is doing things to our our minds and our ways of interacting with one another that we all know are damaging. So we're going to need the, the experts to help us. The only way they can really scale to meet that is by leveraging digital. So be on the lookout for telemental health. Trend number 11 is mindset shifts and mindset gaps. There's been a lot of talk about skills gaps, but I haven't heard as much talk about mindset gaps. You hear a lot about Carol Dweck's work around the growth mindset. There's a lot of talk lately about social-emotional learning. I like to say, I get social-emotional, baby. Try to do that at least once every few shows. But, uh, but these trends are large and profound. And to shift a mindset frequently takes a triggering event. And the fact that all of us have been confronted with this pandemic and have been forced to change really at a global level but also at a very private, personal level, I think is an opportunity for us to maybe revisit some of our fundamental assumptions and be open to change some of the ways in which we operate. Even think about the overscheduled student calendars that we talk about, where parents are running their children around, trying to cram as many uh, extracurricular activities into their day as possible. COVID has forced us all to re-examine some of those approaches and some of those mindsets and, and also made us reevaluate what we value and who our close ties are. And all these things, I think, will result in shifts to our mindsets and a growing awareness that some of these mindsets that we've had in the past maybe have been damaging. We're probably too competitive. We probably aren't providing enough grace. We're not learning how to empathize. We're not seeking out people with different views. We're not necessarily putting ourselves into difficult situations so that we can grow. All these things I think will begin to emerge in 2021 with more resonance and hopefully continue to grow throughout the decade. That brings us to number 10, awkward conversations about race. This is something that we wound up doing a pretty good job of, I think, throughout the year. My co-host many times, Melissa Griffith, and I have had several really interesting conversations, particularly in response to George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement, was able to talk to Liz Liba and Terry Givens, Rich Milner, Tarlin Ray, 
the list does go on and on. And it's a very difficult time to have these conversations. But it's the fact that they're difficult doesn't mean that you shouldn't have them. And one of the mindset shifts that we're really hoping to affect and hoping to understand better is getting comfortable with discomfort and also getting comfortable confronting the parts of yourself that you may not be happy about rather than saying that, yes, there is racism, but I don't have any. Yes, there's bias in the world, but that doesn't apply to people like me. The, the deeper cut is that if you're not seeing your own bias, you're probably not looking hard enough. And it's totally natural to do that, but it's probably better to step up to the plate a bit and begin looking at that man in the mirror, as uh, Michael Jackson once said. Trend number nine is that it's a VUCA world. So VUCA is a, an acronym from the military that I devoted an entire episode to with Chris Meyer, who's the associate dean at West Point. VUCA is one of those cool military acronyms like FUBAR and SNAFU, which is fun to say and fun to understand. So VUCA stands for Volatile, Uncertain, complex and ambiguous and it's a concept that's very prevalent in scenario planning and war gaming i know at the military college the war college there are many simulations and war games that are played and in many cases you are confronted with unexpected complex uncertain scenarios in a volatile environment and you need to be resilient adapt to your plans and respond accordingly and in a timely way. This is where I'll, I frequently return to the quote, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Something we've also seen is the growth of agile thinking within higher ed in particular, and also in instructional design thinking, product design. All those things frequently require a more agile responsive approach rather than a traditional waterfall approach. In a waterfall, you plan something two, three years in advance, and then it's all about executing against that plan. So think like massive construction projects, etc. So a lot of project planning came out of this massive mindset, big projects, everything's planned out, everything's running according to a predetermined plan. That was countered coming out of Toyota and the lean approach to manufacturing, which is about getting those cycle times very small and iterative and responsive. So if you hear folks talk about lean startup or lean practices, agile thinking comes very much out of that. All these things are more designed to be nimble, responsive in a world that is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Big idea Something a little bit ahead of its time, I think, when I was first talking about this with Chris in 2019, 2020 happened, and I think we all have a keen understanding about how the world is pretty VUCA these days, and getting comfortable with VUCA, and understanding what you don't know, and understanding how to not freeze in those scenarios is going to be increasingly important, and it's a trend that we're going to continue to track. Another trend is something that I'm referring to as nesting. It's a psychological phenomenon that many of us are experiencing since we are spending so much time at home. We are increasing our focus on creature comforts. We are buying comfortable clothes. We are hooking up our setups in our homes if we can. 
we are finding those places where there is comfort again those of us who have the resources and wherewithal to do so and i think that's an important trend for learning both to be able to meet the learner where she is in her home and then also as an instructor to figure out what do you need to take care of yourself self-care is a related trend so that you can recharge and be empowered when you need to then deliver that instruction back out to the world so be on the lookout for new ways to nest new tools and equipment for folks to make them more effective as instructors, as learners, and then just as healthy, centered humans in a very trying time. Trend number seven is something uh, we're referring to as simu everything, simulations. So I will say this was on my trend list prior to COVID when I was looking at trends for the 2020s. And if anything, the power of simulations, the power of augmented learning and virtual learning, virtual reality, augmented reality is going to be accelerated in ways we never anticipated coming into this year. Had a really interesting conversation with Evan Gappelberg, who's the CEO of New Tech AR Solutions. And he's been focused on bringing AR to universities and educators in addition to other contexts. Also, if you look at the new gaming consoles that are emerging, those are the same contexts that are competing with learning contexts. So I think increasingly we're gonna need to find ways to create simulations that are virtual that can still teach us what we need to do so that we're then in the real situation in the future. So think of your flight simulators, your brain surgery simulators, your moonshot simulators, frequently you want to get your reps in, you want to do your practice prior to being in those expensive, potentially higher risk scenarios. And as those technologies emerge, can they be made available at a more massive level so that more of us can understand how to develop new skills and also feel more connected and more engaged by our learning materials rather than sitting back glazing over while watching a YouTube video, could we instead lean in and simulate the experience that we're trying to learn about? Knowing by doing is another concept. I spent some time talking to Lauren Buckman, the president of the Art Center College of Design in Los Angeles, talking to him about the importance of knowing through making and the maker's mindset to really developing the skills that will ultimately be employable and will also be resilient enough in light of the automation that is on the horizon. The fourth industrial wave is upon us. And if we can still make things, perhaps as canny centaurs, leveraging those intelligent agents, but nonetheless making things and engaging in creative endeavor, that's one of the best ways to withstand the automation that will happen, particularly around more mundane tasks. From there, we're going to move into portfolio building, which is very much related to knowing through making. So rather than building a resume or collecting credentials, can you collect objects that you've created, pieces of work, oeuvres, as I like to say, that you can then point to and say, I made that. And if folks want to hire you, if they want to know who you are, what you're capable of, showing them that you have something to say and you're also comfortable with 
the tools that are necessary to make things is hugely relevant. You don't want people who can just talk a good game. You want people who can actually finish things and finish products. In higher education, there's the concept of the sheepskin effect, which is that by virtue of signaling you can get a degree, you're demonstrating the resilience and the determination and the industriousness that employers will want. I think increasingly that credential piece, that sheepskin effect will still be in play, but increasingly there'll be another track that's opening up, which is what can you make? What can you build? Show me what you can do. And by virtue of seeing that, employers will then make hiring decisions. Trend number five is parent educators. So the parent and the family have all been brought into the educational experience in ways that we never would have imagined heading into 2020. I don't think that changes in 2021. There will be some thoughtful retreats, I think, for many parents who will blissfully escape being as engaged as they have been in this very challenging year. Uh, Dan Strafford, a regular contributor on the show, has talked at length about having his three daughters at home and how he is very much looking forward to schools reopening, but reopening in a safe way. I think with that, though, there is a new awakening among parents of what education is, why do we send our kids to school, what are they learning when they are in school, and hopefully that genie stays out of the bottle. I'll prefer that one to the toothpaste being out of the toothpaste tube because uh, somehow it's a more pleasant analogy. But anyway, parents, educators, they're here. Get used to them. Related uh, trend to get used to is pods and micro schools. Uh, I had Brian Tobal on, the CEO of a startup called Schoolhouse, who's doing really interesting work helping families of kids connect with instructors who then will teach from a lead parent's home. And that's a trend that it's somewhat akin to homeschool, but allows for the socialization with the small group. Many of us have now embraced the power of strong, close ties. And the micro school movement will extend on that. Very similar to the tutoring movement, but I think understanding the different ways in which those blends can happen with much smaller student teacher ratios, where the teacher's attention can really be dedicated to students in ways that are pretty much impossible in a class of 30 or more students or an online lecture of hundreds of students. How do you scale the attention piece and how do you scale the human connection? Frequently, that's going to be done by enabling new small cohorts to be basically a match.com of great teachers into small groups of families who want their kids to be educated together. That brings me to trend number three, a trend I like to call Zuma Zuma. So many of us were exposed to Zoom in ways that we never expected. It's now become very much part of the fabric of our society. The jury's out whether it will be disrupted by its replacement, but nonetheless, there will be some software solution that will allow us to engage with each other virtually, and the, that will power new and innovative ways to scale virtual instruction. And there's a lot of talk about Zoom fatigue. I think it's a real thing. But at the same time, there's also the ubiquity of Zoom and the fact that it is a foundational platform upon which folks can develop new and emerging 
learning solutions. It's a space to keep an eye on. We've had uh, really interesting conversations of late about whether you're building on top of a Zoom educational solutions or whether you're building dedicated pure education plays that are separate from Zoom. I think the latter may have more educational bells and whistles, but it may lack the ubiquity that Zoom's already got. So I'm leaning towards understanding how Zoom begins to address some of its fundamental critiques and and then understanding how that leads to new solutions on the Zoom side while still keeping an eye on the massive amounts of capital that will be going into educational technology solutions to create a more differentiated, compelling learning experience, which is something we'll all want to keep an eye out for in 2021 and then throughout this wacky decade on the horizon known as the 2020s. All right, trend number two, we only have two left. Trend number two is referred to as class outside. So I remember back growing up, there was always a kid sitting typically in the back of a class, maybe near a window, who would, when the weather turned nice, would ask the teacher, can we have class outside? And teachers frequently had to play bad cop in that scenario and say, no, I'm gonna say his name was Jimmy. No, Jimmy, you can't have class outside. But now I think the pandemic has forced us to revisit that. Trends like experiential learning, I think we'll get uh, a reboot. And even the design of schools, something I talked to Prakash Nair about, is how school design was well overdue for reimagining. I do think some of the challenges around the spread of the pandemic and some of the novel thinking that is coming into that design is going to force us to let go of some of our connections of education to the buildings in which it occurs and more thinking about what can you learn once you're unencumbered by those buildings. Prakash likes to talk about the cells and bells model of K-12 school architecture, which uh, once you hear that phrase, it's hard to let go of. And it's something I think about a lot as we try to reimagine where we're heading as a society after this profound shock to system. So hopefully more class outside. It reminds me of the conversation I had recently about snow days. Even if remote learning means that snow days are no longer technically uh, part of students' lives in colder climates, I still think parents will take that step back, think about what's the student really learning, and do they need to learn what it's like to slide down a hill on a sled and to make snow angels? I think many of us will buy in to that learning objective as parents. It's a trend for us to continue to monitor. And that brings us to our last of the 21 trends for 2021, which is virtuous feedback. And virtuous feedback you can take to mean many different things. But first and foremost, in a learning context, it means getting feedback about how you're doing and being open to it in as authentic a way as possible so that when you get that feedback, it motivates you to get better. One of the challenges I know I faced in my life is that frequently I'm not ready for feedback and when I get it, I get defensive and that defensiveness can actually make me behave worse than I was behaving that required the feedback to begin with. So I think in this case, it's about building those virtuous cycles where the feedback gets you to do more. And the example I always am drawn to these days is the Peloton and Strava and these other formats where you're motivated 
to do more and you were given encouragement to do more of the things that you know you should be doing to begin with. So particularly if you can find those feedback mechanisms, whether they're friends or coaches or mentors who will motivate you, whether they're new practices around developing good behavioral patterns. It is the beginning of a new year. How are you thinking about your resolutions? How are you thinking about setting goals for yourselves and then turning that into not a chore, but a labor of love? It is something where this podcast, I think in many ways, has become an example of virtuous feedback in that by doing it, I'm exposed to more, which helps me get better insights, which makes me want to do more, also extends the connections that I've been making so that I'm able to bring more voices and perspectives to the conversation here. But virtuous feedback is something we all should be seeking. And I think increasingly it's going to be built into some of these virtual learning solutions a la Peloton. What will be the Peloton of learning? What will be the Twitch of learning? There are many emerging platforms in esports and gaming and performance improvement and fitness that are enabling folks to get that motivation, that sense of community, and that sense of feedback on how they're doing to continue to do the hard work that's necessary to become more. The idea that we will seek out desirable difficulty and that increasingly platforms will serve it up to us and that we'll be challenged enough so that when we accomplish what we're seeking out to do, we feel as though we really overcame something. And uh, more broadly, I think we're all hoping to have that sense of relief and accomplishment once we've survived this collective ordeal of the pandemic. And with that, that's our 21 trends for 2021. So let me read through them real quick for those of you keeping score at home. And uh, these are themes that we're hoping to continue throughout the year and revisit throughout as we see the trends continue to emerge and evolve and uh, hopefully get more feedback from you, our listeners, around what you're seeing and whether these trends make sense or whether we're missing something. We'd love to hear more from you on all of this. So number 21, tabloid education. Number 20, online learning. Number 19, false scarcity. Number 18, instructional design. Number 17, robo-renaissance. Number 16, grace. Number 15, canny centaurs. Number 14, digital inclusion. Number 13, design thinking. Number 12, telemental health. Number 11, mindset gaps. Number 10, awkward conversations about race. Number nine, it's a VUCA world. Number eight, nesting. Number seven, simu everything. Number six, portfolio building. Number five, parent educators. Number four, pods and micro schools. Number three, Zuma Zuma. Number two, class outside. And number one, virtuous feedback. And with that, I'd love to ask for some virtuous feedback from our listeners. If you stuck around this long, you're someone I appreciate and you're someone who I'd love to hear more from. So please reach out to us through whichever channels are available. Please share this with folks uh, who you think might benefit from it. We'd love to build more of a community of practice around looking at the future of learning. And the best way that happens is by establishing more ways to have conversations. The feedback that we get from each other will make us better. We'll also learn by being exposed to difference and diversity. And hopefully we can maintain that sense of hope and optimism that I have heard really throughout this difficult year on this show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. Here's to an amazing 2021. 
This is Trending in Education. Thank you.